0: You are listening to a sermon from St Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters dundee.org.uk. Pray for us as we begin. Let's pray together. Our Father, this evening we seek to hear from you. Become empty, needing to hear from you by your spirit, through your word. So as we stand in the threshold of your word, may you incline our hearts to it and to nothing else this evening. Open our eyes to see wonderful things as you read your word. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts this evening, we ask, in your steadfast love. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ our King, who sits at your right hand. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had one of those situations before where someone does something, and you just think, how can they do that? How dare they do that? What gives them the right to say that, to get away with saying that? Well, this evening we are in Luke chapter 11. As we come to this section in Luke's gospel, we might be inclined to think the same. We might even be a bit confused about what it all means. But before we get to Luke chapter 11, let's first remind ourselves of what the gospel as a whole is about. Right at the beginning, in the first uh, four verses of Luke's gospel, we've got this introduction. And a paraphrase here, we have an eyewitness account of Jesus' life written so that Theophilus could be certain concerning things he had been taught about Jesus' Luke's gospel was written to give certainty about who Jesus is. That's the big picture of the gospel as a whole. Then if we zoom in a bit more, in chapter 951, it says, When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, for, so from that point on, in 951, onwards to Jesus getting to Jerusalem... It's all about that journey, that journey to the cross. And we follow him, learning from him what it looks like to follow him to the cross. What's happened since then, from 951 to 11? Well, some pretty well known sections, if you've got it in front of you. We've got uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the interaction of Jesus with Mary and Martha, we have the discussion about the Lord's Prayer. Now, why have a section on Jesus' distinctive way of praying, a pattern for how Jesus' followers should pray? Why have a section about sitting at Jesus' feet? Well, I think the answer to those questions comes in our passage this evening. So if you have a church Bible, we're on page 1043, and let me read for us Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. Now he, that is Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him... Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts of which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Got three points for us this evening from the text, which will come up on screen behind you. The Cosmic King has come, the Cosmic King has conquered, and the Cosmic King calls for a response. Let's look at these opening verses of our section this evening. Uh, Recently I had to write I didn't have to write, I was asked to write, sorry, a blog post for the church website and I am a woeful writer. Everything I do, my wife Amy uh, has to check. This evening I was writing a CV uh, for work after UTCF, and in checking it in the skills section, Amy wrote, Craig's skills are writing unnecessary words added on for no real reason at all. I am a woeful writer. I waffle on as I'm doing now. But look though, no wasted ink at all. Look down at verse 14 where we have this description of the miracle. It's short and it's succinct. Jesus casts out a demon, which is causing a man to be mute. The man speaks, and people marvel. Then look at what happens straight away afterwards. Nothing is said of the reaction of the man who's been healed. Instead, it's all the reaction of those who witnessed it. People are amazed, they marvel, but they don't like what they see. Some reject Jesus as being from Beelzebul, that is, from Satan. Others want more, just one more sign, one more sign from heaven. These people are skeptical. They don't doubt that a miracle has happened. They're perfectly aware it's happened. They doubt how it was able to happen. And perhaps you're here this evening, and like those in these opening verses, you two are also skeptical of Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't leave skeptics on their own. Let's see how he helps these people this evening, perhaps might help some of us. We don't know what the sign is that people are asking for from verse 16. But Jesus has enough confidence that what we see in verse 14 in that action is enough to know who he is. As I mentioned, Luke doesn't go into much detail about it, but there's two things we see from these verses about Jesus. First off, Jesus has power of the physical realm. He has a physical man here with a physical issue and produces a physical result. And secondly, we see Jesus has power over the spiritual realm. The reason why this man is mute is because he's possessed by a demon. And Jesus casts out the demon and the demon comes out. Jesus has power over both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Or you could say he has power over the heavens and the earth. In Jesus' points here, he's making that he is the God of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He's supreme over all things. He is the cosmic king. This is what we see in this one action in verse 14. But some were seeking another sign. And I think verse 17 is wonderful. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he's just in a sign in front of them, then knows their thoughts, so they get two signs for one, yet still it isn't enough for them. And look down at these responses. Look at the first one in verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and the divided household falls. A house divided will not stand. It's a formula for failure. By logic, it's simply ruled out here by Jesus. Jesus didn't cast out the demon by the power of Satan. I can imagine the crowd going, okay, Jesus, we get it wasn't that. Or you say it wasn't that. But if it wasn't by Satan, how then did you remove this demon from the man? Well, there's three things Jesus goes on to say. Have a look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Notice they've gone if, if, if. Let's look at the first if in verse 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. How can the devil have a kingdom working against itself? It simply will not stand. You can't say that there's a strong satanic force in the world and then also say it's fighting against itself. That can't work. It doesn't make sense. Jesus rules out that answer to them. And the next if in verse 19 and if i cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out therefore they will be your judges and who are the sons mentioned here in this verse well i think it's the disciples mentioned in chapter 10 chapter ten, seventeen, where it says the 72 are sent out by jesus and they return with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name Jesus is saying, these disciples, these fellow heirs with Israel, if I cast out demons by the power of Satan, then so did they. And therefore the opposites, if they do it by another power, then I also do it by another power. To reject them will mean that they will also be your judges. See how Jesus is taking their objection at the beginning, drawing out the possible answers to it, and showing them that they don't stack up, leaving us with the final if in verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And look how Jesus follows this with an explanation of what's going on. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Jesus didn't cast out the demon, in verse 14, by Satan, but by strength. And Jesus pictures a cosmic war here between the power of the kingdom of the devil and the power of the kingdom of God, and it's a cosmic war. It's a spiritual realm and the physical realm, but it is no struggle. For in these verses, we see that Jesus the king, the kingdom has come in him and has come in presence and power to plunder Just look at verse 21, the scene is formidable. A strong man, fully armed, in his own palace, on his own turf. But in verse 22, the stronger man comes in, on the offense. He attacks him, he overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Satan had a strong grip of things in verse 21. The gates of hell could not prevail, and Jesus barges in, he overcomes, for he is the king, he is the one with the ultimate power, with the power of God. And with his victory comes the spoils of war distributed to those who fight with him. And what are these spoils? Well, I think it's salvation for the Lord's people, and all that is wrapped up in that, forgiveness of sins, the coming of the Holy Spirit, union with Christ, knowing God as Father, being part of the people of God. Jesus' work means that Satan is no longer in control. And that's the point of this miracle here. It's an audiovisual testimony I'd say that Satan has ultimately lost, that Christ is the one who reigns, that He is the one of power, that He is the king. The presence of the kingdom of God does not come in good advice, but it's seen in power that overcomes evil. And what we see in this, this story, this example in 21 and 22, is something that is literally true of those who are, those who were demon-possessed. Paul's thinking it's, a, it's an image of every person that has ever lived who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, at the beginning of chapter 2, it's, it speaks about how everyone who's not under Jesus is under the rule of Satan. The prince of the power of the air, he says to use his language. So if verse 21 is true of everyone, if every person who's ever lived begins under the rule of Satan, how does Jesus break in and defeat him? Well, before we get back to Luke's gospel, I think Colossians helps us here. In Paul's letter to the church there in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, "'He that is Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness,' and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And Paul later goes on in chapter two, thirteen to 15, says, "'And you who are dead in your trespasses "'and the uncircumcision of your flesh, "'God made alive together with him, "'having forgiven us all our trespasses "'by cancelling the record of debt "'that stood against us with his legal demands. "'This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. "'He disarmed the rulers and authorities "'and put them to open shame.'" By triumphing over them in him. And this is exactly what Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to do. To go to the cross. To nail the record of debt that stood against us. To disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. For it's at the cross where Jesus stands toe to toe with Satan and wins his great victory. It's at the cross where we see the power of the gospel. It's as we hear about this crucified Christ... That we come to know the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory won by Christ on the cross. This is how we know the power of Jesus through the good news. There's the gospel. This is how Jesus breaks into our lives and rescues us from the power of Satan. This is why Paul says in Romans 1:16: For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power of God, where Jesus takes the house by force and keeps it and rules over it and reigns what is rightly his. Simon, when we tell people about Jesus, as we do evangelism, we are, in one sense, infiltrating enemy lines as the Holy Spirit uses the gospel message we share to break down the rule and reign of Satan and instead enthrone Christ as the rightful king over what is his. That means that that small conversation you had with your friend about Jesus was, was anything but insignificant. It means that, that that stumbling sharing of the gospel with a colleague was anything but weak. It means that plan to plant a church in Charleston, for people to move there, is anything but foolish. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and the gates of hell will not prevail over it, for Jesus has attacked, overcome, and conquers the strong man. And that's why Jesus draws this line in the sand in verse twenty three of Luke eleven. It's the bottom line of this cosmic result, one on the cross, where Jesus is heading. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See in this cosmic war there there are no spectators. Jesus is very clear about that. As one commentator says, in this cosmic war, there is no Switzerland. There is no neutrality. Jesus has shown us who he is. And he says, what do you say in response? There is no wiggle room. There is no gray area. And his point is clear. Do you stand with him? And help gather in those who also stand with him. Praying for his work, making the most of the opportunities you have? Or do you go out and scatter and influence others not to come to him? These are his two options he gives us. Are you with Jesus in the kingdom of light? Or are you against him in the kingdom of darkness? It's a stark, stark thing Jesus says here to us this evening. cosmic king has come, he has conquered, and he calls for a response. He draws the line in the sand in verse 23, and then in 24 to 26, we got this image as if Jesus is peeling back the scene world, showing us a spiritual realm behind it. Possibly explaining the spiritual aspect of the situation in verse 14. Remember we don't know if the man in verse 14 has repented and believed that Jesus is Lord. All we know is that he has had a demon removed from him. And in this picture, in this image, it's left him. It goes wandering. It seeks rest. And finding none, it returns home. Returns to the body from which it was removed. And now as the spirit returns, it finds a man in good order. Morally upright. His life has been sorted. It's been tidied up. But still open to the demons. There's nothing replacing it. No stronger force, nothing has come in instead. There's no protection from God the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, this picture here is of a man who was not saved. He had not acted in God's goodness towards him. He had not received the Holy Spirit. And so he's left open to more demons. And it's really a tragic picture. And in it's most direct way, it's talking about the activity of demon possession. What can we learn from this? Well, one thing we don't learn is that everyone who has a Christian, has, everyone who is a Christian, sorry, has the Holy Spirit, and everyone who isn't a Christian has demons dwelling in them. That's, that's not the point of what Luke's saying here, nor is it true. But I think here we see a picture of someone who's tried to, to clean up their life, tried to do better, tried to live a more moral life, and perhaps even succeeded. Perhaps in one sense, they may even look like a Christian, but they aren't. They may not be demon-possessed, but they aren't a spiritual vacuum either. Christ is not dwelling in their hearts. Satan still reigns over them. They are not on the side of Jesus. So that's how I think verse 27, 28 fits in with this. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts of which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This woman, struck by what she has seen, struck by what she has uh, heard, just blurts out. But the point of her blessing is not to eulogize Mary, but instead Jesus. And Jesus agrees with her blessing, saying, Yes, that's true what you say. But he raises the bar to a greater blessing. He opens up the blessing to more people. He says, Yes, but blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is what it looks like to be on the side of Jesus, to hear his word and keep it. Let's take a step back here from our passage in Luke 11. Let's think how this this fits in with what we've seen before in Luke's gospel. Remember, we are following Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He is off to bear the wrath of God for our sin, off to transfer all those who believe in him from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, off to defeat the strong man and take his spoils. And as he travels there to Jerusalem, he's teaching us what it looks like to follow him. That is to hear his word and keep it. And that's what we see in those examples I mentioned in chapter 10, the teaching about the Samaritan of Mary and Martha, the one of prayer, three examples of following Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And in the story of the Samaritan, obeying God's word looked like care of others. With Mary obeying God's word looked like attention to Jesus. In prayer, obeying God's word looked like praying to our Father. And in our passage, obeying God's word looks like believing who he is, that he is the king of all, and so obey him. To hear God's word and not obey it is in the language of verses 21 and 22, like having Jesus, the stronger man, dwelling within us, having him reigning over us, and and then at the same time, hearing the whispers of the strong man at the back door, seeking to let him in the back door and up the stairs. I think, why would we want to do that? Why do we want to have half-heartedness to Christ? Why do we want to let Satan, this demon, back in? Satan demons, they're, they're homicidal. They're trying to destroy us. Trying to stop us from hearing God's word, from obeying God's word. And they will not stop coming back. So to try to let them in, to welcome them in, to let them in in a small area of a life is in one sense Suicidal. It's welcoming destruction, welcoming death. And for each of us, trying to sneak the strong man, Satan, into the back door will look different. Perhaps things come to mind now where we are tempted to do so. But not one Christian will face that daily battle alone. Dwelling within the believers is the cosmic king himself, the one who has dethroned Satan. In John fourteen twenty three, we have these wonderful words. It says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. The same Jesus who conquered the devil on the cross now dwells within all those who love him and keep his word which means that we are now able to say no to the strong man, no to his whispers to be let back in, because we have one dwelling within us who is far greater, one who's transferred us from the domain of darkness and into his kingdom of light. Next Sunday, I'm preaching uh, in, in Brunsfield, and this was the passage I was given in this series on Luke's gospel. And then when I was asked to preach here and saw it was the Lord's Supper, I thought this is a wonderful reminder for us. That as we come to the Lord's table, we do not do so alone, but we come with the Lord Jesus, dwelling within us, the cosmic king who has come, who has conquered, and who calls for response. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that there you took the sin that we, we t- you took the, the wrath of the sin which we deserve. Thank you there on the cross, you transferred us from the domain of darkness and into your kingdom of light. Thank you that you have conquered Satan, sin and death. And that you reign on your throne at the right hand of the Father. And that by your Holy Spirit You reign in us. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times when we seek to listen to the whispers of the strong man. Help us be people who hear your words and obey it. Lord Jesus, as we go out and seek to tell others about you, may you help us to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to declare to others who you are and what you have done for us. We pray all these things, Father, in the name of Christ, our King, the cosmic King who sits at your right hand. Amen.